the book of Romans. And uh, we're going to introduce the book this morning, of uh, the book of Romans. And we've stopped, we finished with Philemon last time. And I told you we're going to start over. I was looking at the, my teaching log, and uh, we did this book about 16 years ago. So uh, <laughs> that's a quite a while ago, so something like that, I think. And, uh, but we're going to take our time looking at the book of Romans. We're going to introduce it for the next couple weeks, and then we'll hopefully get into the verses uh, after the Bible conference. So uh, we'll be building on what we're doing as we go. So when you come, come to the book of Romans, uh, you come to 16 chapters, 9,477 words, 433 verses, so it'll take us a couple months to go through, okay? I, I'm amazed when, when I read uh, and I look at um, uh, online schools and stuff and things that people, and they'll say, go through the book of Romans in like six weeks. And I'm like, how do you do that <laughs> accurately? And, and, and there's a lot of things about it that you can't. So as we introduce the book this morning to you, uh, we're going to have some things to say. We'll have more to say next week. And then the following week will be our Bible conference. So uh, Saturday I'll have some things to say about, about it then as well. But we'll get, we're just going to spend about two, three weeks introducing the book and then uh, uh, get into the verses. The book of Romans, Romans 1, verse number 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God. Paul's the author. <clears throat> By the way, every epistle, uh, the, the, the author is given to you. So who wrote the book? By whose authority he writes the book? Then there's an introduction period where he then says, this is what we're going to be talking about in the book. And then he gets into the details. So the author is the Apostle Paul. If you look at verse 7, To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So he's going to be writing to the folks at Rome, to the saints at Rome. Verse 15, so, as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. So, there's going to be a thing here where he's going <coughs> to, excuse me, he's talking to the saints at Rome, and there's some, and, and to the Romans, and so there's some things in it that are very fascinating when you come to the book of Romans. And as we begin to study and we come to Romans, we come to something that is new. We come to the 45th book, and we come to a, a situation where it's rather shocking. If you just read your Bible, and you know nothing of right division or dispensational Bible study, for 44 books you've been talking about Israel and the Jews, and now you're going to talk all of a sudden to the Romans and the Gentiles. You have new language. You have new terminology. You have a new group of people. You have shocking information now. You 44 books previous to this, you've been talking to one group of people about the earth, Israel, and so forth. Now in the 45th book, a new group of people, a completely different message, a completely different apostle, a completely different ministry, purpose, plan, the whole bit. 45, that number 45. I, you know, num numbers in your scripture are very important. But think about the number 45. That's nine times five, right? If I did my math right. Okay, add the one, carry the eight. Okay. No, the number five in Scripture is the number of death. The number nine in Scripture is the number of fruit bearing. So you have death to Israel, and now you're going to have some fruit being bear, barren, uh, uh, had in the Gentiles. 
You've got a shift here. Everything is different. There's a radical departure. Uh, come over to Matthew chapter 2. There's a radical departure and a shift from everything that the first 44 books have talked to us about and told us about and worked through. Now you have this wonderful book that's going to be written to the Romans. The title of the book there, it says, The Epistle of Paul, the Apostle to the Romans. This is the first nation outside of the nation of Israel that God specifically writes to. These people right here, the Romans. Now, chronologically, Rome, Romans is written in Acts 20. I understand that. But we're not worried about that right now. We're worried about it's, where does it show up when we're reading through our scriptures. Here's Romans. You come out of the book of Acts, here's Romans. Whoa, shocking. Woo, here it is. Now we're going to have some things to say to the Gentile nations. And he picks the Romans to be the first. Well, who were the Romans? Look at Matthew 2. Look at verse number 1. The very title of the book is a complete departure from where he's been writing all through Scripture. Matthew 2, verse 1. Now when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying... Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen a star in the east and are come to worship. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Herod, who is Herod? Herod was the patriarch and the, the king that was appointed by Rome, wasn't he? Who's in charge of this territory in Jerusalem? Rome is. It's not the Jews. They're not in charge. It's Rome. Okay? Now, drop down, Matthew 2. Look at verse 14. When he arose, he took the young, and the he here, and the young child, and the mother is, is Joseph, Mary, and the Lord. And they departed into Egypt, verse 15, and were there until the death of Herod that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Out of Egypt have I called my son. Then Herod, when he saw that he was mocked of the wise men, was exceeding wroth, and sent forth and slew all the children that were in Bethlehem and in all the coasts thereon from two years old and under, according to the time which he had diligently inquired of the wise men. What did Herod do? What did the big bad Roman do there? He killed all the kids. So the Romans were not friends of the Jews. They were not friends of God's people. They killed all the children two years and under. What else did they participate in the killing of? Who did they participate in the killing of? The Lord Jesus Christ. You see, they, they are the political authority of the day. Come over to Matthew chapter 4. They are, Rome is, sits under satanic power and authority. It's actually set as a type in scripture of, 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 the, of the empire of Satan. They're in complete rebellion against God and against God's people. They're in opposition. Matthew chapter 4, we were just here the other night and Wednesday night. The Lord is tempted of the devil, verse 7, uh, verse 8, sorry. And again, the devil taketh him up into an exceeding high mountain, showeth him all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. And he said unto them, All these things will I give thee, if thou wilt fall, uh, wilt fall down and worship me. All the kingdoms of the world are under Satan's control, power, and authority. And you know who that included? Rome. The Romans. So the 45th book is addressed to people who don't have a great reputation when it comes to God's people and what God's doing and God's plan. Now come back to the book of Romans. So as we introduce the book and as we begin to think about Rome, the, the book of Romans, 
they're not very friendly people when it comes to the historical account given to us, and yet here sits a book written directly to them. Romans 1 verse 5, by whom we have apostleship, I'm sorry, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name. That's new. That's never been talked about prior to this event. I just want you to notice some things the rest of the morning here about what's going on at Rome. By the way, I put the, uh, this map. This is just the setting of Romans, okay? Um, I have a, there's a, Paul's journey to Rome, and there's a whole bunch of other maps that I found, and I put them in a PowerPoint. But that's just to give you an idea of what we're, where we're at. We'll put it up from time to time. Folks on the Internet, if you go through the Dropbox, it'll pop there. By the way, if you go into the Dropbox, you want to look for Romans 2019. Don't, there's another Romans file. Th that's the old file, okay? So when you look at Romans 1, verse 5, to, to the faith among all nations for his... That's different. Look over at verse 13. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but have let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you, also even among other Gentiles. That's, that's different terminology there. Matthew 10, the Lord tells the disciples, or the apostles, don't you go over there to them Gentiles. Now Paul's like, I'm going right to you guys. Here we have an individual, the Apostle Paul, that God has now is sending a message to the very people that were his enemy all through history and personified that. And again, I'll be honest with you, it's typical God. <laughs> he'll take the most defiled people and he'll use them to demonstrate his grace and his mercy and his long-suffering. Look at what he did with the Apostle Paul. You take 1 Timothy 1 there, verse 13, 15, down to 16. And who was Paul? Saul of Tarsus. He was the leader of the rebellion against, against God's people. And yet he used him to then do what? Be the apostle, church the body of Christ. I mean, to be the big guy, <laughs> the leader, the pattern. So that's typically how God will work. Now, God, look over at Romans 5. Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. God will typically, now God's going to demonstrate his love and his grace. And he does it by the first book we come to of Paul's epistles, talking to the most hostile people. And he looks at them and he says, I want you to see how much I love you. You guys have hated me, without a cause, by the way, that you've hated me. You did all this to me and my people, but I want you to see how much I love you. You're in Romans 5. Look at verse 8. But God committed his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. See that? He, he died, he lays it all out there. Verse 20, 520. Here's, by the way, you know, we'll, we'll do the doctrine, reproof, correction thing in our thinking, and, and we'll lay that out in, in the coming studies. But I want you to see a verse that's very, that popped to me of why Romans is first in the epistle list. Yes, it is to follow 2 Timothy 3.16, okay? But look at 5.20. Moreover, the law entered that the offense might abound. But where sin abounded, grace did what? Much more abound. You see, what have we been studying up to Romans? The law, the law, the law. Here's the sin. Okay. We got us a new member of the congregant. Okay. I, won't I guess that, that's knocking on the door, huh? Yeah. Well, we're at home yesterday. We're working in the house, and I ha do a little knock, you know, hammering, and my two go ballistic at the drop of a pen. And so, all right, 
What have we heard so far? The yip. <laughs> okay. No, what have we been studying? The law. The law. Sins abounding. The law comes in. Now what's on the ticket? Grace. Grace did much more abound. Come over to Romans 3, or back to Romans 3. And go get Matthew 10 as well. Matthew 10 and Romans 3. I want to press, impress with you this morning how shocking it is that Romans sits here at the head of Paul's epistles. We've been coming through Scripture. We, you know, you've been reading. You, and, and again, I'll be honest with you. I look around the room. We all understand right division. We all understand dispensational Bible study. But if you think about people who don't, and if they're honest in their intellect as they're reading, they would be instantly shocked to be reading a book written to the Romans. And the question would be, what? Why? What's going on? Right? Some do, some don't. You got Matthew 10, look at Romans 3, verse 29. Romans 3, 29, Matthew 10, verse 5 and 6. Romans 3, 29. Is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also. That information you learn from the Apostle Paul. Go back over to Matthew 10. He is the God of the Gentiles also. Matthew 10, verse number 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and enter in and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, in the Old Testament, he is the God of the Gentiles, but he is not preached that way and taught that way. Okay? Rather, he is taught to be the God of who? Israel. Who then, when they're in their proper place doing what they're going to do, now this is where the Bible study comes in, then through them become, they become the blessings to the Gentile nations. And through them he becomes their God. By the way, in Matthew we're going to get into the Beatitudes and, we'll, and so forth, in Matthew 5 and everything, and you real quickly begin to learn that in the Old Testament... When that Gentile refused to go back in the kingdom, the thousand years, when that Gentile refuses to worship, there's instant judgment. Why? Because the real king, judge, jury, and executioner <laughs> sits on the throne. There isn't a, hang on a minute, wait a minute, <laughs> we're going to have a trial. No, you just did. It's called unbelief, and your, and your goose is cooked. Okay? In Romans, Paul comes in and says, yes, he's the God of the Jews, but he's also the God of the Gentiles. Come over to, back to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11. You guys with me? I'm just trying to introduce. This is a wonderful book. I'll tell you what, I've read Romans through quite a few times. Just, and when you read it, I try to read it in a, thinking of a different setting. You read it just as it sits. I've read it. It's a courtroom setting where Paul is the prosecutor. He's prosecuting the case against and for. He's after him. He go, he, he, I mean, we'll, when we get down into Romans 3, Romans 1, 2, and 3 there where he's nailing the unbeliever. I mean, that's a boom, boom. That's a lawyer in a, in a courtroom. He says there in, in Romans 3, verse 9, we've proved this. Then, I, you know, then you step back and you read it kind of as just what it is, a letter, you know. And, and it's very, you ought to try that sometime. I mean, he's proven it, using legal terms. Why would he use the words propitiation and imputation and atonement and reckons? Those are legal terms because he's proving a case. Because you know what's going to happen at the great white throne judgment? There's going to be somebody stand up there and say, yeah, you didn't talk to me because I'm a Gentile. And he goes, oh, yeah, I did. There's 13 of my books right there. 
that you've rejected. You see, the thing, you got to understand that God understands you way better than you understand you. The book of Acts is a written indictment against the nation of Israel. It's not a historical thing for the starting of the body of Christ, but rather it's a written indictment. One, the indictment says that God was right and just to take his salvation and give it directly to the Gentiles without using the nation of Israel because, indictment two, they had violated everything that he had had for them to do. So, you know why he does that? You know why the book of Acts exists in your Bible? Because there's going to be a bonehead Jewish person stand in front of that great white throne judgment and say, I never know. And he's going to say, you never read the book. It's right there. Well, we thought the New Testament was the Gentile stuff. Yeah, you still should have read it. You see, because that's, what, that's what's going to happen. Somebody's going to object, objection, your honor, and he's going to go, overruled, guilty. Well, how can God do that? Isn't he a loving, just God? He did. He gave it to you. You just chose not to believe him. See that? Now, you got Romans 11. Give you time to find Romans 11. Look at verse 13. For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am the apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify mine office. Now, when we get over here, we'll spend time talking about Paul. Paul has got to defend his apostleship almost at every turn in his life after the Acts 9 event. But what I want you to notice is he's not the 12th apostle. He's... He's the 13th if you're counting them, but really there's more apostles than, than that. Barnabas was an apostle, so which number is Barnabas? He is a different apostle. Okay? In Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the four Gospels, the term Gentile is only used 17 times, if I counted right. When you get saved, everybody tells you, read the book of John. Do you know that the term Gentile is only used four times in the book of John? He ain't talking to you. In Romans, Gentile is used 24 times. Isn't that interesting? That's two twelves. <laughs> Fascinating. In John, the term grace is only used four times. In the book of Romans, guess how many times it's used? 24 times. In Romans, the word world is used 12 times. The word gift is used 7 times. The word free is used 8 times. The word mercy is used 12 times. The word love is used 12 times. The word life is used 15 times. The word faith is used over 40 times. What do you think is important? Your faith. It's fascinating. Now, those are all subject to me counting, and I count three or four times and get all the different numbers and add them up and get an average. <laughs> okay? Because <laughs> your eyes play tricks on you, okay? Yeah, all right? But you think about that. That's new language. When you come to the book of Romans, come back to chapter 1, you are bombarded by grace. That's what you're bombarded by. By grace and mercy and peace. You're bombarded by this new information. Now, Romans is, again, written in Acts 20. That's when it's written. And the, really the critical question isn't to ask when was it written, but rather, why is it first in the order? Why does it sit where it sits? Why is it sitting right here? Well, first of all, person, you know, <laughs> we've been bombarded by the law, and now we're going to be bombarded by grace, and what book does it better than Romans? None other, because the other ones are going to build off of that. But look just internally, chapter 1, verse 11. Here's the reason why it sits as number one. He's... Paul says, For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, 
to the end ye may be established. All right, Paul, what does that mean? That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Hey, there's that faith word again. Paul starts the book, and he tells us the purpose of the book is to establish you. And to take you, and, and so that there can be a mutual faith, both of you and me. And we can have some fellowship and some comfort. By the way, the spiritual gift there in verse 11 is doctrine. That's what it is. It's not, you know, all the stuff everybody wants it to be. He goes, I'm going to give you some doctrine. How do you know that? Come over to chapter 16 and verse 25. And we're going to compare these verses here for a few minutes, 16.25. So Romans is going to do something here for us. Romans 16.25. Now to him that is of power to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery which was kept secret since the world began, but now is made manifest and by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandments of the everlasting God, made known to all nations for the obedience of faith. There's that faith word again. So when you take chapter 1, verse 11, and he says, I'm going to establish you. All right? Then in 1625, he uses the word establish. Did I spell them right? I hope I did. Okay. One is the process. The other one is the permanency of it. One is, I'm going to set this up in you. The other one is, it's going to permanently be there and stay there. There's great conversation about these words because they're spelled different, but yet they're spelled similar. So they got to mean the same thing. In a dictionary, sure, why not? But not in Scripture. And I'll be honest with you, if you were with us in our King James Bible study stuff, the end of it there, we looked at some dictionary, built-in dictionary stuff, and you cannot say that you're a King James Bible believer and run to a dictionary to get your definitions. You've got to get them out of the book first. Might need some help. Nothing wrong with dictionaries. I use them all the time. But let's get them out of here first. So when he says, I'm going to, verse 11, 111, that to the end you may be established. We're, there's going to be a process. God's people are to be established. And Romans is going to lay in that foundation of establishment. There, there's going to be a process here. Then he gets over to the end of the book and he says, okay, that process has been laid in. Now it's permanent. Now it's not going to go anywhere. I don't know if you've ever watched them pour a slab for a, for a building or for a home or something. And what do they do? They go in and they form it out. They put everything in, and then they lay that concrete in, and it's got a cure, and it's a process to it. Once the process is done, what's up? It's permanent, is it not? So much so that the zoning rules and so forth say that if you knock that building down, but you leave the floor plan, you're good. But if you destroy the, con the foundation, you've got to start all over, stuff like that, Okay. My point is, is this is what Romans does. Gets you set up. At the end, there's a permanent foundation laid. So now we can go forward and do what verse 25 of, of chapter 16 says. Now we can build in the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. And we can build in the scriptures of the prophets and so forth like that. There's some things that now we can go and do. You follow, do you follow that? Okay. Because, there's again, there's great conversation. And I'll be honest with you, stuff that, 
if you leave the book alone and let the Bible, the Bible is its own definition. It's, a, it's the best book on types and pictures and defining its own terms. Unfortunately, you, get, you start bringing in Strong's and all this other stuff, and real quickly you go, wait a minute. <laughs> <There's>, <laughs> that's not ma- that dictionary definition doesn't match what's going on over here. So I'm going to stay right over here. God's purpose in Romans, God's purpose for us, is that we engage the process of building in a permanent foundation. This is an ongoing thing. This is a lifetime worth of building and working. Um, Go back to 2 Samuel. Let me just show you, illustrate this issue with these two words. 2 Samuel chapter 7. 2 Samuel chapter 7. The process of continually building, the process, the issue of engaging in the process, the ultimate goal is that we are able to stand what? Stable, established, permanent have a a firmly fixed place, plan, however you want to need to say it, of spiritual maturity. We're not going to leave the foundation. By the way, next week or two when we look at Romans and it's out the layout, we'll find four foundational blocks. Who's the cornerstone? The Lord Jesus Christ is. The, actually, the whole of our weekend meeting uh, coming here in November is building on the right, building on the foundation. And Dad will start the evening off in 1 Corinthians 3 talking about the right foundation, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our cornerstone. And then Romans takes that cornerstone and plops in four more little sections that make up the foundation off that cornerstone. We're going to process it in, and it's there permanent. Now watch it illustrated here, 2 Samuel 7. 2 Samuel 7, verse 12. And when the days be fulfilled... By the way, this is David. He, he wants to build the Lord a house. He's... He, he, he's He's come to the Lord, and the Lord says, no, it's not for you to do it. It's for your son Solomon to do it. But what you're going to do is you're going to lay everything in place. Here's the blueprints. You go down to the mills. You get everything ordered. You get all the supplies in so that when Solomon gets on board, all he's got to do is build it. Verse 12. And when thy days be fulfilled, and thou shalt sleep with thy fathers, I will set up thy seed after thee which shall proceed out of thy bowels, and I will, eat. notice, establish, I'm going to say it funny because I need you to notice it, I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish thy throne of his kingdom for how long? Forever. David's going to, he's in the process of getting everything laid in. There's a, there's a, there's a process to setting up the kingdom. How long did David's kingdom last? Forty years. How long did Solomon's kingdom last? Forty years. Well, that's not very long. That's not forever. But what does verse 13 say? What's God's purpose? God says, I'm going to permanently establish. I'm going to permanently, what, establish that kingdom authority. Do you see that? David, you're going to go die. Your guys, I'm going to establish it. We're going to get it set up. We're We're going to get Solomon's temple built. We're going to get this kingdom. I'm going to set it all up. There's the process. He's going to die. Your kingdom, your seed will be realized he says to David and other on down in the passage in the Lord Jesus Christ ultimately 
but that authority of the kingdom is going to go on forever. So the goal in Romans 1, 11, is let's get the process started. Let's get down through so that at the end, there's a permanent foundation built in you. So now you can go do what 1 Corinthians 3 says, which is to be careful how you build upon the foundation. Yes? What about 16? Yeah. And thine house and thy kingdom shall be established forever before thee. Thy throne shall be established forever. Yes. It's a process. It's going to ultimately end, he's talking about, verse 15, but my mercy shall not depart away from him as I took it from Saul, whom I put away before thee. Verse 14, I will be his father and he shall be my son. He, he's not talking about Solomon, he's talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that ultimate process is that it's going to last forever. It's a process. The, perman the permanency of the kingdom is a promise by God to be fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 16, when he says, Thine house and thy kingdom shall be established, we're in the process forever. It's permanent. Okay? Now go back to Romans 1. Actually, go to Acts 20. I don't know if that helped you or not. <laughs> and... <clears throat> Acts 20. Notice Paul. What he says here, he, Acts 20, the first three, four verses is where he write, where, where uh, Romans is written. But look down at verse, verse 20, Acts 20, 20. And how I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. He didn't keep any of it back but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house. Okay, look at verse 32. And now, brethren, I commend you to God and the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you inheritance among all them which are sanctified. What's it going to do? There's a process that's going to build you up to a permanent situation. Acts 20, verse 32. Okay? We're going to start. That's the goal to get to. Now, let me show you this in the Gospels. Because there's a reason why Paul starts. Come over to Luke chapter 6. There's a reason why the purpose of Romans is to lay in the foundation. Now, I know what everybody says. Wait a minute, Rick. He's already talking to the saints at Rome. And he's talking about all this basic information. What do you think Paul's been preaching since Acts 9? He's been preaching the book of Romans since Acts 9. When he got saved on the road to Damascus, you got Luke? Look over at Acts 26. You got, I don't know if you guys think about this stuff when people raise objections and questions. But you've got to put this kind of in, in order here. Look at Acts 26. Acts 26, verse number four, 13. At midday, O king, I saw in the way the light from heaven. So he's going to recount to Agrippa the Acts 9 event. All right? Verse 15, and I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. Now watch verse 16. But arise and stand upon thy feet. For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen. What did he just see? He saw the risen, ascended, seated in the heavenly, up far above all heavenly places, Lord Jesus Christ, didn't he? The guy he just saw die, just not even a year earlier, there he's sitting. He got his 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4 message. <laughs> He got the gospel. He heard the gospel. He believed the gospel. 
and of things in which I will appear unto thee. How do you know he got the gospel? Keep reading. Delivering thee from the people, Israel, unbelieving Jews, and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. So now he's commissioned, verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God that they may receive the forgiveness of sins. Stop there. How is he going to preach about the forgiveness of sins if he hasn't had my gospel, the information contained in that term, my gospel given to him? He has. It's been revealed to him. He believed it. He's an unbelieving Jew on the road to Damascus. He's just participated in the blaspheme of the Holy Spirit. Matthew 12 says that's never to be forgiven now or in the world to come. Can't be, take, can't be forgiven. He says in 1 Timothy 1, I'm a blasphemer and a persecutor. He's an unbelieving Jew, stopped on the road to Damascus. You know what God said to him? I, Christ said to him, I died for you and for your sins, and that's what I shed my blood for, and this is what all this means. And you know what Paul said? I got, I, 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 I need that. <laughs> Just like you did. Forgiveness of sins. Now watch. And, uh-oh, he got more information than just the gospel. An inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. He also got in the inheritance information. Do you know what inheritance information, the, 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 the crux of the information is? When you have a family member die and you're left in their will and, you, and the lawyer calls you, do you know that you have to be able to identify yourself as who it is in there? So what is that the base of our inheritance information is our identification doctrines. We find those in 6, 7, and 8 of Romans. We find out that we are not Israel, 9, 10, and 11. We find out how to go live our new identity in 12 and 16. You see, he got Romans doctrine right then and there. So when he turns around in the rest of Acts 9, 10, there, and he's out preaching to the Gentiles, you know what he's preaching? The book of Romans. That doesn't do anything for you. It does everything for me. Because that tells me that when he writes the book of Romans to the saints at be at Rome, they have already heard, what? The Romans' doctrine. But God needs it to be written where? In the book, because one day Paul ain't going to be here anymore, and we, we have to have the canon of Scripture finished. Did I just go over your head? I hope not. You think about it. Okay, mull it over. Go back to Luke 6. Luke 6. Here's why Romans is so critical. Here's why we get the process in, we get that permanent thing in us. There's a parable here at the end of Luke 6. It starts in verse 47. Let's just read the parable and then we'll digest it here. Whosoever cometh to me, and that's the Lord, and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to whom he is like. So, forget about reading it, let's just do it. If you read my commandments, you read my word, and you do them, here's what you are like. He's like a man which built a house and dig it deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded upon a rock. So if you come to the Word of God and you study it the way God would have you to study it, that's why right division is so critical. So you come to Romans, and you study it the way of God, and you, and you begin to build it into that. What are you going to do? You're going to dig deep, aren't you? And you're going to find the rock bottom, aren't you? When they built the Sears Tower back in the early 80s, we went down and looked in the hole in the ground. And it's literally, I, I don't know how far down it is, you know, story-wise, but it's way down there. And you know what they did? They went all the way down. 
they found bedrock, and then they begin to attach the pillars. Now, they have more than four pillars. Romans only has four pillars. And they begin to sink it in and concrete it in, and there was a process of getting it established. And then those girders kind of come up out of the ground, don't they? And then they begin to attach the rest of the building and the structure and everything in that process. And you know what? That building sits there today permanently. It's called the Willis Tower. I don't know what you're talking about, Willis, but that's what they named it, okay? But do you know that when the wind blows, that that goofy building can sway 10 to 15 feet, 20 feet each way? That's kind of cool when you're up on the top. Not really. I've been up there, and it, and it sways. But you know why it sways? Because the storm vehemently came on it. Ephesians 4, he says that we're not to be tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine. How can that happen? How do you not be tossed to and fro? You have that firm foundation. You have that foundation that comes in because you've done verse 47. You've come to him. You've heard his sayings and you're doing them. You're listening. You're studying that word. You're obeying with the word of God. You don't just read it. You obey the verse. And what happens is, is when the storm comes, guess where you're not going to do? Fall down. Now watch verse 49. But he that heareth and doeth not. Uh-oh. It's like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth against which the stream did beat vehemently and immediately it fell and the ruin of that house was great. There was a Sunday school song about that. The wise men built his house upon the rock and when the rains came down and the floods came up and they got all of this hand motion. Folks, that's why right division is so critical. If you don't do it the way God has you to do it, what's going to happen when the storms of life come? It'll destroy. When, when, when Satan attacks, the design in Romans is that you are stable. You're able to sway in the breeze, but not fall down. So when you come back to Romans, that illustration in Luke 6, again, just reading, it's like, whoa, there's Romans. We're going to lay in the foundation here. We're going to start the process. By the way, once the foundation is done, I hope you understand that your building is not done. Come over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Too often times when you hear people talk about that, that uh, established in 1625, they say, see, your growing is done. You don't need to grow anymore. And that is not the case. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. By the way, uh, first, I'm going to get this wrong, so I'll say it another time. 1 Corinthians 3, look at verse 9. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husband. Ye are God's building. According to the grace of God which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. But let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. I don't know if you've ever noticed those words very carefully. This is not you building on your own foundation. This is you allowing others to build on your foundation. Read that very carefully. Paul says in the middle of that verse, I have laid the foundation, and another buildeth thereon. You're going to build on it. That's what the rest of that verse says. Right? Let, but let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. That's you building on it. But another comes and builds. There's also other people that you allow to build on your foundation. 
I hope you see that. The foundation is, for other foundation can no man lay than is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble, you're going to build all six elements. What's going to stand? The gold, silver, and precious stones, and you work those out, and that's wisdom, understanding, and knowledge. And the wood, hay, and stubble is all the human effort, the religious activity, the stuff he says in 1 Corinthians 6 that you're not to be a part of. You're to be separate from all that mess out there. So when you're building and you're allowing others to influence what's going on, you know what you have to do? You've got to remember this. Is it fitting over here? Do you, you see that? Build. We've never done building. <laughs> you know? You're, still, you're always building into that inner man, this edifice that's designed is to, to conform to the image of Christ that you're building. He looks over there to the Galatians and he says, did I labor in vain? I've been working with, I've been travailing with you guys. I've been working with you so that Christ be formed in you. That building is there. Romans sits at the head because here's the process which results in a permanent situation. Now the permanent foundation is laid in. By the way, there are four pillars to the foundation, and we'll get into all that uh, next time or in the next couple weeks. When you come to Romans, you come to a shocking new book. Oh, my goodness. Paul, who's that? The Gentiles, what? The Romans, oh. And yet God just bombards you with his grace, lays it on you, and says, now I'm coming and talking to everybody, all the nations, and it's your faith in what I'm doing today that's the issue. Romans is a fascinating, fantastic, fascinating book. But it's something that you've got to pay attention to every word in and get down, okay? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the book of Romans. And we thank you for the ability to read it, to understand it, to have it, and then to go out and to believe it and to live it. All for your praise and for your honor and for your glory. In your name we pray.